0: I've been spending time in abortion clinics for years. And all that time, I can talk to staff about what they're seeing. I can talk to doctors about what they're seeing. I can talk to patients about their experience before and after they go. But I had never been inside a consultation room with a patient and a doctor.
1: That is until last week. Caroline Kitchener is a national politics reporter for The Post. And last week, Caroline sat in on a consultation with a patient at an abortion clinic in San Antonio. There was a
0: woman who was lying on the table getting her ultrasound. She had her hands on her stomach and she was staring up at the ceiling. And as they were doing her ultrasound, her eyes were like clenched, closed, tight, shut. Like she was just tensing her whole body because she had just been told about the law in Texas.
1: A law passed in September that outlawed abortion after six weeks of pregnancy.
0: She knew that It all came down to this moment. Was she before six weeks? Was she after six weeks? Was she going to be able to get her abortion? And she was waiting to see what they were going to say. And then the doctor, after, gosh, it was like a minute, and it felt long to me. It must have felt longer to her. The doctor says, you know, we can see your pregnancy. And unfortunately, we can see cardiac activity. We can see this flicker that means that you can, you know, unfortunately no longer get your abortion in Texas. And she just starts crying and crying and there's more silence. But then the doctor says, you know, don't worry. You know, it's going to be okay. We've got a clinic in Oklahoma. You've just got to get there. We can do that for you. But then she goes out to the front desk, and she goes to make her appointment at this other clinic, and the woman at the front desk says, you know, I'm really sorry, but I have to tell you about this other law that could take effect in Oklahoma, and, you know, as early as this Friday, abortion could be banned there, too.
1: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, April 6th. On Tuesday, Oklahoma legislators took a major step toward outlawing abortion. They passed a bill that would make performing an abortion a felony, punishable by up to 10 years in prison.
2: Representative Olson now moves final passage of the bill. Will there be debate? Question, seeing no debate, the question for the House is shall the bill pass? Having received a majority vote of those elect to and constituting the House, I declare the bill to have
1: passed. The bill now heads to Oklahoma's governor, who has signaled that he's open to signing anti-abortion legislation. If it's signed and not blocked by the courts, that bill would go into effect over the summer. But abortion providers in Oklahoma are even more concerned about two other proposed bans similar to the law in Texas, both of which would take effect immediately if signed by the governor. And that could happen within the next few days. So today, we take you into a pair of clinics in Oklahoma on what could be one of the last days of legal abortion in the state. So, Caroline, it seems like a lot is happening very fast on the ground in Oklahoma right now. Can you walk us through these three bills that are being considered and how they would impact abortion access in the state? Everybody has been focused on this big Supreme Court case, Dobbs
0: v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, that the Supreme Court heard in December and is going to come down with a decision this summer. That case could Overturn or significantly weaken Roe v. Wade. But in the meantime, there are actually a couple of states that are you know, passing bills that could take effect before then, bans that could take effect before then, and one of those is Oklahoma. So there are two bills that everybody had been paying pretty close attention to. They were both proposed this year. They're both modeled on the restrictive Texas law that has been in effect since September.
3: A seismic shift on abortion rights. As of this moment, Roe versus Wade essentially upended. At the stroke of midnight, the most restrictive abortion law in the country went into effect in Texas, It essentially bans all abortions after six weeks.
0: Both of these bills use the sort of novel legal strategy that has allowed the Texas law to really evade court intervention. That strategy is, you know, empowering private citizens to be the ones to enforce the law and sue anybody who helps facilitate an abortion after the six-week mark. So both of those bills... They both got the Texas style enforcement mechanism, which makes them harder to challenge in court. And they also both would take effect as soon as the governor signs them, which means that they could t- really take effect just very, very fast. So those two bills, both of them have passed one chamber and are waiting to be heard by the other chamber. There's one that's a total ban on abortion and one that is a six-week ban on abortion. That six-week ban was actually heard in committee today and could move to pass the second chamber at any time within days. Now, then there was another bill that really took everybody by surprise yesterday. It was a bill that was initially proposed and moved through the Senate last year, and the House kind of defied a lot of expectations by putting it on the agenda the night before they heard it. And they heard it, and it passed. And that is a total abortion ban that makes it a felony to perform an abortion. And that does not use the Texas-style enforcement mechanism, and it also wouldn't take effect until the summer. So abortion providers, I think, of of the three are more concerned about the first two because of the the, the real urgency, the, the fact that they could really take effect any day.
1: So it seems like for the woman you met in the consult in Texas and for many women in her position, there is this intersection between the law that previously passed in Texas, SB 8, and the laws up for debate in Oklahoma. So can you walk us through how the situation in Texas has impacted what we're seeing now in Oklahoma? Well, pretty much immediately
0: after the Texas law took effect in September, patients started leaving Texas in droves. Patients who were past the six week mark or close to it were thinking, okay, where else can I go? And more than any other state, they ended up in Oklahoma. Now, Republican lawmakers in Oklahoma saw that. You know, they they took note of that. And they have been watching as the numbers have been ticking up at the clinics in Oklahoma that, you know, used to pretty much see Oklahoma patients, some Arkansas patients, but you know these clinics didn't have a ton ton of traffic. Now the clinics are totally overwhelmed. And you know, Oklahoma is a very very anti-abortion state and lawmakers there they weren't happy about what was happening.
4: It, it a state of emergency exists. And so, yes, we've got to save lives I wish we could have saved them six months right ago. After. Yeah. And so you just weren't in session. Yeah, weren't in session and um,
0: so one of the people that I talked to was Republican State Senator Greg Treat, who is in leadership in the Senate and for whom abortion is A major issue, a big part of the reason that he got into politics. He is extremely passionate about restricting abortion access in Oklahoma. And, you know, when I sat down in his office with him, he told me that he really is open to trying anything that will help limit the number of abortions that take place in Oklahoma. You know, we talked about how he felt about the number of Texas patients that have been coming into his state. And he said, You know, it's sickening when he thinks about it. That's the word that he used.
4: It's sickening. It's sickening. Um, And that's the reason we're making every effort to get our laws uh, changed.
1: So, Caroline, you were actually in Tulsa last week. Can you talk a little bit about where you went and why and just set the scene for us? I wanted to do the journey, you know. I I
0: thought to myself, I, I was actually really tempted to do the drive from San Antonio to Tulsa, which is about nine hours, um, because I wanted to feel what it was like to drive nine hours like these people that I was talking to were doing. And, you know, in the end, I, you know, I, I was by myself. I didn't want to drive by myself at night so I ended up taking a flight but even that you know there was no direct flight from San Antonio to Tulsa so like the women who have the ability to fly you know I had to had to do a layover it was expensive it was long even just to fly and when I got there I met up with my reporting partner producer Rennie Swernofsky and that other voice that you're going to hear in the audio from the day that that's her. Oh, shoot. Well, yes. Um, where are we driving? Caroline has led us astray. Um, so I, I, I was going to a particular clinic. It's called Tulsa Women's Clinic. Gosh, I don't know. How would you describe this area? It's sort of strip kind of strip molly, but like not brand name strip molly. And as you're driving up, you know, you kind of immediately know that you're coming up to an abortion clinic because you pass first a crisis pregnancy center, which is an anti-abortion organization that really tries to, you know, offers free ultrasounds and and really tries to get patients to change their minds about abortions. Um, And you see this sort of big sign that says, you know, we welcome all patients, especially Texas patients or something along those lines. And there's like a a big print at the bottom of the sign, Texas and all states, we can help. There's another sign that says free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests. And then you drive a little farther and there's, you know, a a prayer garden, a a Catholic run prayer garden where there are, you know, a bunch of protesters, you know, right as you're driving into the clinic. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm a young woman. They all think that I'm there to get services to get you know an abortion for myself and so they're yelling things at me like you know save your baby you know I I get out of the car and a clinic escort comes up to me to try to sort of safely usher me inside and I you know say I'm a journalist they still want to you know help usher me safely inside because these people are yelling at me but I you know and and then I get inside and and start talking to some of the patients that were there that day I visited this clinic because it was the sister clinic of the clinic that I had visited in San Antonio. So all of the patients that I met in San Antonio who were too far along, this is where they were being sent. And they're both owned by the same doctor, and that is uh, Dr. Alan Braid. That might be a familiar name to some people, because this was the doctor who um, got a lot of national media coverage back in gosh it was it was mid-September. Um, he performed a abortion after the six-week mark in Texas, and then he wrote an op-ed in The Washington Post saying that he had done that, which you know, he, he did in order to prompt lawsuits, hoping to overturn this restrictive law. When we got to the Oklahoma clinic, you know, Dr. Braid wasn't there. He does go, you know, about, about once a month, but he wasn't there when we were there. Instead, we got to talk to his daughter.
3: So my name is Andrea Gallegos. I'm the administ- executive administrator here, and then at our San Antonio location. And she talked to us about how things have changed at that clinic since
0: the Texas law took effect.
3: So pre SB eight a patient calls on a Monday to be scheduled, we could schedule her Thursday or Friday of the same week. We didn't have a terribly high volume of patients, um, but we would service Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas. She rattled off some numbers
0: about, you know, how many patients they used to get before the law and how many patients they get now and just the, the really stark difference in that. So
3: July, pre-SB-8, a total in the month of July, two hundred and thirty five patients just that's just total okay August total two hundred and twenty with twenty eight patients from Texas, September total number of patients for the month of September, five hundred in total with two hundred and forty four from Texas, yeah, so that was huge. <laughs> She was able to really paint a picture of how the traffic has changed. Suddenly, like having a patient call us on Monday and being able to schedule Thursday or Friday, it very quickly became, (laughs) I can't even get you in for two weeks. And then really soon after that, I can't even get you in for three to four weeks.
0: I did something at the clinic that I don't usually do when I go to abortion clinics. I just went and I sat in the waiting room. And I just kind of wanted to kind of be amongst all of these women that were waiting to get their abortions. And I just kind of looked around and blended in, I guess, and watched everybody as they waited. Everybody was facing forward, looking at this big screen TV that was playing news about Ukraine. And what I noticed was just how exhausted so many of these patients looked three of them were like curled up in these, you know, they they were office chairs, just kind of standard, not like cushy plush chairs. They're just kind of standard office chairs. And three patients were like curled up in them, you know, with their feet tucked under them and their arms around themselves and just trying to sleep like you would sleep on an airplane, you know, like they wasn't comfortable at all, but they were just sort of trying to relax. I noticed that nobody was wearing jeans. Everybody was wearing like sweatpants or joggers or leggings or some people were wearing slippers, Crocs, like it was kind of be as comfortable as you can. And I think I said to Rennie, it was sort of like this weird sleepover where everybody was like dressed, you know, for a slumber party. But every nobody was talking to each other and everybody was like seated two feet apart. And I don't know, I just, it really, you could feel the exhaustion in the room that day.
1: Did you get to talk to any of these patients at the clinic, um, anyone that came from far away or, or had trouble getting an appointment?
0: So the day that we, that we were there, there were patients there from a whole bunch of different states, from Oklahoma, from Arkansas, from Texas. And while you know there were a lot of patients there from Texas that day, we didn't actually get to talk to any of them because we heard this from the doctor, Dr. Joey Banks who was on call that day. She told us that those patients, you know, had to leave right after their appointments because they had, you know, a 6-hour, 8-hour drive ahead of them and they had to get home.
4: You know, and I would say today, I would say, you know, from Texas, so I have a woman who admits to being almost homeless but not homeless that took the bus and I saw like a someone that manages restaurants and was able to fly, but needs to get on her flight before they go back to Texas. I saw people that drove the whole time um, and don't feel like they can stay the night, so we'll probably drive a little bit through the night.
0: One of the patients we did talk to was a woman named Sarah, and she had driven to the clinic from her home in northwest Arkansas.
4: So
5: it's not too far of a drive. It's very convenient, actually, to be... This close to some a a place that can help me and make me feel comfortable.
0: How long? How long the drive
5: is? It's about an hour and forty seven minutes. Oh
0: wow! Okay, it's it's that's very
5: that's very specific. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she told us that
0: one of the reasons she had driven to Oklahoma was because she didn't
5: want anybody to recognize her. I feel more comfortable going to a place where I'm not going to know a look at anybody. Yeah. Like, there's no way that they're going to be able to look in my face and, and recognize me. She also told us that
0: she had a three-year-old daughter, and she had considered having an abortion last time, ultimately decided against it. But this time, just she talked about how hard it was to be a single mom. And she just wasn't in a place where she could go through all that again.
5: Although I do love my daughter so much, there was a time where I thought I would have come to a place like this uh, during my pregnancy with her just because of how things happen. But that didn't alter my decision now because I know how I am as a parent. I know the struggle. I know, um, especially a single parent, just how hard it is. Oh, yeah. um, adding to that, I just couldn't imagine it. It was. It's just been so hard. So, this honestly is a true blessing to be able to do this and I have my choice to do it. So, sorry.
0: We talked to Sarah about the laws that were being considered, and she hadn't heard about any of them.
5: It's not really talked about where I'm from. Um, we call ourselves the Bi- in the Bible Belt, and so it's not it's not something that you just talk about which i think
0: is a really important thing to note because we heard that again and again from patients and from doctors talking about patients like a lot of people have no idea that this is going on so it's really a surprise when they get to the clinic or they call the clinic and they find out about these laws like i said i mean the most people don't know that they're pregnant at 6 weeks so What you are seeing in Texas is a lot of people learning about this law and coming in earlier. You know, sometimes I'm hearing from doctors even before you get a positive pregnancy test because people, you know, maybe had unprotected sex and are a little bit anxious. But, you know, imagine the, the patients who didn't hear about the law and they come in and they're, you know, seven weeks or even, you know, a couple of the patients that I talked to in Texas were like six weeks and one day. You know, they just missed it. And, you know, imagine if you, you didn't even know about the law and then you come in and you get that news, it's like a double whammy of uh, surprise. And that was something that Sarah felt really acutely.
5: How many women know that they're pregnant before that six week term? And most of the time they don't even show positive. I took a pregnancy test when I was five weeks pregnant and it said negative. So how how is that expectation Supposed to be relied on if we can't, if the test that we trust can't even tell us the accurate time that we're pregnant. Like it's just not fair.
1: What other moments and conversations stood out to you at the Tulsa Women's Clinic? So the other thing that
0: we got to see while we were there were um, a group of patients who were taking a pill for medication abortion, which is one of the two types of abortions that you can get at this clinic. You can do medical, which is you know, abortion pills, or you can do surgical. My colleague, Renny, recorded this. and She was in the room when they were actually taking the pills.
4: So what we're going to do is talk about how you're going to take the medicines. So the first medicine you're taking a day is the one that's in the box. And you'll take that one here, and it's called mifepristone, And that's the one that stops the pregnancy. Okay. Dr. Joey so
0: gave time them time. a tutorial on everything and what to expect beforehand before they took
4: the pills. Um, 24 to 48 hours later, you're going to take the second set of medicines. So decide for yourself, do I want to take it exactly at 11.20 tomorrow morning or do I have school and work and I want to take it in the evening? And then they,
0: you know, literally kind of opened the packaging and and, you know, took the pills out and looked at them.
4: I know you won't feel anything from this. But, you know, it's normal to have that whole, I think it's real. <laughs> yeah. It's normal to have that emotional reaction even though it's a medicine. Right? You're taking yeah. care of your body. You're making decisions that you need to make at this point of your life. But we don't expect you to be like, all is fine. It can be all is fine or it can be this is emotional for me. And all of that is totally acceptable. You need me to open it, though, yeah. because you yeah. have to do a full thing
0: There was this one point where one of the women got really emotional. She seemed really nervous, really anxious, and the other patient in the room started to comfort her.
3: you got this.
0: And Dr. Joey just kind of went over there and said,
4: Big breath in. Big breath out. You're in charge doesn't feel like that right now, right? It feels like you don't get to be in charge. Right? But ultimately, you're in charge, right? Um, okay, you are free to go, elbow bump. Yeah. Call us for anything at all, and then I'm gonna go write your prescription real fast. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah you. yeah, you can throw that away. Uh, mm-hmm. Get a good lunch today. Whenever? The
0: whole time that I was there that first day, I was thinking about the fact that every patient that I talked to that day, every patient that I saw that day was going to walk out of that clinic and have the procedure that they had come there to have. These were not the kind of stories that I had heard in Texas where people were being turned away. Nobody was going to be turned away because the law was not in effect. They could still get their procedure. But... It definitely made me think about, you know, what if I was to come back next week? Would that still be the case? You know, if if this law takes effect and abortion is banned after six weeks or banned altogether, what would these patients do?
1: After the break, how these new laws might change the calculus for some people seeking an abortion in Oklahoma. We'll be right back. So, Caroline, the next day you went to a Planned Parenthood in Tulsa. Can you tell me a little bit more about it and how folks there were preparing for this possibility that these abortion ban bills in Oklahoma might pass?
0: Well, there's kind of a different set of options that they have at a Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood is part of this, you know, massive national organization. They've got clinics all over the country. So... Instead of just thinking about the clinic in Oklahoma, they are able to think, okay, how do we use our other clinics in order to help patients in Oklahoma? So some of the doctors had had left Oklahoma and were spending more time in Kansas so that they could start doing surgical procedures there and really buck up the kind of services that they were able to offer in Kansas.
4: We're particularly focusing on our Wichita Clinic to make sure, because it's the closest one to Oklahoma.
0: We heard that specifically from Dr. Joshua Yap.
4: And that's a place that we have provided medication abortions, but haven't provided other kinds of abortions before. And so that is something we're working on expanding to try to help relieve some of that influx that we'll, we ex- definitely expect will flow up to Kansas as being the next closest
1: state. And what about the patients? What did you hear from them on that second day?
0: that second day the first patient that we talked to caitlin she she didn't tell a soul that she was going to get her abortion that day
6: i have three kids i have a two-year-old little girl and twin girls that are one <laughs> yeah um i was married to their dad i'm still in the middle of my divorce i have a boyfriend. Hence why I'm here.
0: She told her partner that she was pregnant, but she was just planning to say that night that she had a miscarriage. She took the abortion pill, and and that was what she was going to tell her family.
6: I can't tell him, obviously, because he would be upset, heartbroken. He would love to have a baby with me. Believe me, tells me every day. He drives me crazy. But I just cannot right now.
0: And... She's from a very conservative Christian family, and she didn't feel like the people in her life would be accepting
6: of her choice. And I've actually never been for abortion. Like my whole life I was raised, I mean, my sister last year thought about it and I was like, no, I don't. My mom like shunned her. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up not. But
0: then I asked her, you know, what if this law takes effect. You know what, what? What if? What if you would have had to have driven hours? Right? She was able to to just slip out of the house and say that she was going to a doctor's appointment. But I, I asked her, you know, what what if you had to to really make a long drive? And she said, no. Well, you know, I would just keep the baby because I wouldn't have any other excuse to tell my family. I wouldn't have any way to to cover this up, basically.
6: Because I can't give an excuse of why I'd be leaving this day. <laughs> That's just a whole other lie in itself. I don't know. I wouldn't. I would have just kept a baby.
1: It really
0: struck me how kind of simply she said that. Like, it was just like, oh, well, yeah. You know, I'd I just continue on with this pregnancy.
6: But it put me in a huge bind. And I'm not, I hate even saying bind.
0: And for her, you know, continuing a pregnancy wasn't necessarily going to be... You know, a, a decision she was really happy about. She talked to us at length about all of the very severe postpartum symptoms that she had had with her last child and how much she didn't want to go through that again. And then, the last patient that we talked to right before we went to the airport, her name was Faith. She was from Oklahoma City. and She didn't want to be recorded, so we won't be hearing her voice today, but I can tell you a little bit about what she said to us. Faith wants kids. She just said, look, I'm not in a position right now to have them. I work at a bar. You know, I'm I'm making ends meet. When I have a kid, she said, you know, I want to be— I asked her, like, where do you want to be when you have a kid? And she the first thing she said is, well, I'm going to be rich. (laughs) And I am going to be able to give this kid everything that they want, everything that they could ever dream of. You know, I'm going to have a great career, the kind that I always imagined for myself. And I'm going to bring this kid into a stable environment where I can truly care for them in the way that I want to. She had She started this kind of journey by calling around to, you know, the abortion clinics in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, and she was not able to get an appointment. She said she tried and tried and nowhere had space. And so she went online and looked for other ways that she could do an abortion herself, essentially. Um, She talked about looking up herbal remedies, even like mechanical ways that she could you know, end her own pregnancy. She talked about, you know, going on a really long run. I think she talked about, um, you know, even like different implements that she saw online, looking up YouTube videos, things that you know, could really potentially harm her, but she was ready to do. I asked her, you know, what if you were not able to get this appointment? What if this law took effect? You know, if what if you came back next week and This procedure was no longer legal in Oklahoma. What would you do? And she said, you know, I would have watched those videos. I would have figured it out on my own.
1: So, Caroline... As you follow what might happen in Oklahoma with these bills that could become law any day and thinking about the impact that that might have on patients like Faith or Caitlin or Sarah on women seeking abortion in Oklahoma, but also elsewhere, what are your takeaways from this trip? I mean, my big
0: takeaway is that this could happen in a matter of days. Being there and talking to all the people in the clinic and the patients, it was just so clear. They could get a call from their lawyers at any moment. They could have a waiting room full of people. They could have doctors in the middle of performing procedures. And the lawyers could say, hey, this law just took effect. You have to stop. That urgency really came through for me when I was in Oklahoma. And, you know, we're. We're not waiting for the Supreme Court case. These states are, are moving ahead now. They're doing
1: it now. Carolyn Kitchener covers abortion for The Post. This story was produced by Rennie Svernofsky with production help from Julie Deppenbrock and Sean Carter. It was edited by Robin Amer. Before we go, there is one more thing that I am excited to tell you about. This incredible podcast that my colleagues have been working on for months just dropped today. It's called Broken Doors. Reporters Jenny Abelson and Nicole Dunka have spent months investigating no-knock warrants. Their reporting was inspired by what happened to Breonna Taylor, a young Black woman who was killed in her home by police in the spring of 2020. So let's take a listen to the trailer.
2: My reporting partner and I have had this routine over the last year. We'd be digging through warrants, affidavits, lawsuits. Um, To see how many times they're targeting multiple houses in no-knock because it's incredibly dangerous in a lot of the ones... And when we'd see something unusual... Start talking to people. So, you didn't get to see the search warrant? No, I've never seen it. Still haven't. I have a copy. Do you want me to read it or do you? I agree. This is how we started one of the most exhaustive investigations into the use of no knock warrants in the American justice system.
6: It was such a simple issue. Break down the door and preserve the evidence. I'm embarrassed think that I was an advocate of that.
2: You you believed that they needed to preserve the evidence. Yes. That this was a huge problem for officers across the country.
6: Yes. It was knee jerk.
5: I can't believe that people are still doing this thing and no one's been held accountable for what happened to Brianna.
2: This whole project started because of Brianna Taylor's death. We wanted to understand more about what it took to get a no-knock warrant and what actually happens during and after these raids. Pretty soon, we started seeing a pattern of questionable warrants all over the country. I just still have flashbacks of all the police running through the door, putting guns to her head.
4: I was like, get in the closet, get in the closet. She's screaming because the baby,
2: we know the baby's upstairs. And sometimes we'd pull on a thread that would just keep going. I know this might sound like a very difficult and impossible question, but how many of these no-knock search warrants would you say you've executed? I can't put a number on that. Could you say hundreds? Yeah, I, I think that'd be a fair statement. And they've all been no-knock searches? Correct. Ma'am, we cleaned this county Uh, Are you listening to me? I'm Jen Abelson, And I'm Nicole Dunka. This is a series about one of the most aggressive and intrusive policing tactics and what happens when accountability is flawed at every level.
3: In Mississippi,
2: who are you going to hell are you going to report anything to? The police are all powerful. They do everything. You know, they're next to Jesus. Broken Doors launches April 6th. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And learn more right now at WashingtonPost.com Broken Doors. Um,
6: so I think we better end this.
1: I don't, I, I'm not comfortable with this. The first three episodes of Broken Doors are out now. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it for today's episode of Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers.